welcome to episode 22 of the Gambots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On tonight's episode, we're going to be discussing the season finale of The Good Place. Recently read the run of The Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Christian watched the movies Bird Box and The Kid Who Would Be King. I played the video game Midnight Deluxe, and then we'll finish up with video game news and our Amazon review game. But first, Christian, you got to see the season finale of Good Place. I did, yes. What'd you think of it? It made me cry tears, and I won't ever forgive it for that. Yeah, it was a surprisingly emotional season finale. Uh, and I was, it's a little bit of a twist, but I, you know, the past two seasons have had pretty huge twists. So I was surprised they went with a more straightforward season finale. Yeah, uh, I've I've enjoyed so far how they've managed to make each season its its own unique thing. So, like in in the first, you're you know you're dealing with the uh, kind of the sneaking around storyline, and in the second one, you're dealing with more sneaking around. But Michael's involved now too, and then in in three, they're all on Earth. So, I was excited to see how. Th- they were going to shape up season four to be once again, like its own unique situation. And I wasn't disappointed. Like this is, this isn't where I saw it going, but I'm excited about it. Yeah. And just full disclosure before we get too far into it, I think this is going to be a spoiler uh, discussion here because it's hard to, it's hard to talk about the season finale without that. So to our listeners, if you don't want to hear any spoilers about it, you will want to fast forward to the next segment. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. I I was really surprised by this one because, you know, I, I'm very curious where they're going to take next season because season one's twist ending was that they're actually in the bad place and they set up the second season to be repeating it. And then at the end of season two, they set up the third season appears to be they're going to go back on earth and see if they can be good people. But that storyline only goes for two or three episodes. And then season three is something completely different as to what I thought it would be. So I'm really interested to see where they're going to go season four. Yeah, I agree. And and I'm liking the setup so far. I, uh, I like the idea of repeatability in an experiment as, as part of like the integral part of this, uh, this next season, like, Oh, it worked. It worked once. Or actually, it worked 802 times, but always with the same people. Like, can we repeat this experiment with new people? It's, it's going to be interesting to find out. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And what one thing that kind of one thing that I think is a little bit of a gloss over is I don't understand why necessarily the humans have to be involved in this experiment because Mike, uh, the bad place did not send the worst people on Earth. They just sent over humans who are the worst placements for the main cast. So I'm curious, like if Michael just ran that like a normal experiment and didn't have them involved, would you have the same issues that we ran into with Chidi's ex-girlfriend being sent and the blogger who really annoys Tahani? Yeah, it's true. I don't know why they have to be involved either. I guess the, the crux of it is that Chidi has to be there to be the ethics teacher. Mm, That makes sense. That's he's he's really the only one that I think that is like integral to the to the plan as it stands originally. Now, like Eleanor inserts herself as the new architect, so now she's integral as well. But 
yeah, Tahani and, and Jason definitely don't seem to have real roles to play. But like we have already said, the, the show's pretty good about subverting your expectations. So we might just not know pieces of the puzzle yet. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, one of the biggest things that have, has impressed me with this season is, or really the series as a whole, is the growth of Eleanor. Uh, you know, how she starts out almost every season to some extent as a dirtbag. And then by the end of this season, she's running what's basically a supernatural experiment, trying to save the world for the good place and showing how, like how much she's grown as a person, especially with her relationship with Chidi and everything like that. Uh, it's been a real, a real joy to watch her character progression. Agreed. And she's also in an interesting place compared to the other three whereas she's the only one of them who knows the complete history because in this season she was uh like her memories were restored of all of the the reboots and things so she knows what they've been through every time yeah and actually now that i'm thinking about she's also the only one from season two who passed the judges test remember the other characters all failed yeah that's true like she's the only one who's actually shown showed the initial growth, but I think she's grown past the other members. As you can see in this season, Chidi at the very end falls apart when, you know, what he wasn't expecting happens with his girlfriend coming and Tahani reverts back to being petty when she interacts with the blogger. But Eleanor, you know, acted with poison grace when Chidi basically left her to erase his memory. Yeah, that was uh, it was rough. Uh, and Jason, you know, always have has good ideas. His is asking Chidi about if he remembers if he'll remember eating pizza with him, and then if just he'll remember pizza was. Oh my god, that line of dialogue was great. <laughs> will you? Will I remember the concept of pizza? Like, yeah, yeah bud. All right, all right. Well, it's not all bad then. <laughs> Man, Jason's yeah. so good. I feel like they should have used him more for this uh, this episode. I was thrilled to see Derek and Mindy come back. Even like even if each of them really only had one or two lines, I just I love Derek so much. Oh my gosh! The, every scene they had him drinking a different drink, but it was just <laughs> a glass filled with lemons or olives or whatever. That was amazing. Yep, getting myself a fancy drink. It was like a martini glass full of Reese's Pieces. Yeah. Oh, man, this show's so good. I'm going to miss it. I think it's good that they only do 12 or 13 episode seasons. It allows them to be more focused. So I am looking forward to next season. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree. I was uh, I, I was iffy on this season a little bit at the beginning. I, it didn't, it didn't uh, hook me as much as the first two did. But, man, it got great as it went along probably even by episode like four or five i was like fully fully back on board yeah i will say i still think season one's my favorite of the seasons just because it's it was such a new concept and then the twist at the end was so well orchestrated if you didn't know it but still uh, one of the best series on tv right now i think or at least comedies yeah i think season two is probably my favorite just because i like I like Michael a lot. He's probably my favorite character. And I, uh, I was really into it when he like joined the team and we got to see his kind of, uh, if not redemption arc. Cause I think, it, I think he doesn't really fully 
go like full redemption mode until the end of season two, but at least like you get to see his growth a little bit, and that that was fun. Yeah, um, Ted Danson is just a treasure. Oh, he kills that role. <laughs> um, and then sorry, just speaking of Ted Danson, and I think it was the last episode or the episode before where he was talking to the bad place, and he was saying just do your normal tortures. And then he explains to them about uh, what was it like banana dicks or something like that. And then them stealing it. That whole line too was just great. Yeah. Penis bees. I thought of that. One other thing I, I'll say is uh, I go back and forth on Nicole Byer, but I thought she was a delight in the episode that she was in this season. Uh, what character does she play? She's the male clerk for the good place. Okay, yes. Yeah, she was... I mean, I think they had Paul Shear in that episode too, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I just thought it was funny how much of... Like, how much they just skewered the good place for, you know, oh, we'll file a petition or we're forming a committee to hire someone to file a petition or whatever. Like, just great of how slow bureaucracy can be and all that stuff. Yeah, it was just endless bureaucracy. But when <laughs> Eleanor throws that lamp at the door and it, it shatters and makes that big noise and you hear Nicole Byers off screen say, like, is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, everything's fine. She goes, all right, I have no follow-up questions. <laughs> That's <laughs> the end of it. I was cracking up. So, yeah, I, w- I would love to see her come back as, as like, a, a little recurring character like Mindy and Jason kind of. But, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to be waiting with – with bated breath for season four. So recently I finished reading the run of the superior foes of Spider-Man. It's available on Marvel unlimited. If you guys have that, uh, which I highly suggest if you like Marvel comics or at least Marvel characters, and you're not really up to date on comics, but you want to get into it. It's either $10 a month or $70 for a year-long subscription, and you get to read a ton, like hundreds or thousands of Marvel Marvel's backlog. I, I think it's well worth it. Um, so recently, I read The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which is a 17-issue run featuring some of the lesser-known villains of Spider-Man. It's basically the discount Sinister Six, but there's <laughs> not actually six members in the group. There's only five of them. Uh, it follows around the boomerang and then also the other members are shocker beetle overdrive and speed demon. And what's kind of awesome about this is that Spider-Man is maybe in two or three panels total for the 17 issues. It really just follows the bad guys in this. And it's a lot of misdirection where they're starting off, they're performing a heist because they want to get rich and famous. And then it turns out, you know, there's backstabbing all around and everyone turns on each other. And then it's another heist to fix out this heist. And you never actually see where the ending is going until almost the very end. And they just introduce so many villains in this. It's great. Uh, it's the villains versus villains, really, because it's the, the group of these guys trying to steal from the owl and, and the chameleon. And those are two villains I don't really know that much. So it was cool to get to see them because I didn't really know the owl was a integral New York villain in the Marvel universe. So it was cool Mm -hmm. seeing different gangs. 
Yeah, so it's funny because the Shocker, who I never realized was such a punching bag of a villain, uh, is really just everyone insults him, and they keep saying that he looks like a cushion uh, because you know he has an insulated costume. The head of Silvermane's in this, where it's funny because he is literally just the head of an old mafioso, and he just insults people. And then finally, they have this version of Alcoholics Anonymous, but for B-League supervillains. So it it really gives me a Venture Brothers-esque vibe where you go to this meeting and it has this one character whose backstory was he appeared in, you know, a couple panels of a Fantastic Four comic to only die and then be resurrected by another supervillain. So you really see the hierarchy of villains spider-man and marvel universe with this i think it's awesome it's, it's really a side story that you don't normally get from the the standard marvel fair so i highly suggest anyone check it out as soon as you said aa for for like b-class villains that was the first thing i thought of was the venture brothers henchman meeting yeah it it that parts of it gave me vibes as venture brothers because this is entirely a comedic comic I mean, there's a little bit of action, but for the most part, it's really funny. Focuses on Boomerang, who is really not that well known, and he is a complete jerk to everyone. (laughs) So this week, Christian, you watched Bird Box, the Netflix original film. It's had a very aggressive marketing campaign. What did you think of it? I liked it for the most part. So <laughs> I, I had this downloaded uh, on. Uh, I had this downloaded onto my phone for my trip. I ended up not watching it on the plane, but I did watch it in a an Airbnb that had no internet. So it came in handy eventually. So it was a way to spend an evening, if nothing else. Uh, it it was an interesting story. It was just a little unsatisfactory at the end. Uh, I, I I don't really want to give anything away because it is still newish, but I, yeah, I was I was not very fulfilled when it came to a conclusion, and it doesn't seem like a movie that's setting up a sequel, so it's not like this is going to be like the beginning of this epic story. I think it's just a one-off. I I, I would have just liked a little more world building than I got. I guess is is what I'm saying. On the whole, it was an interesting concept. Uh, the, the plot is essentially, for anyone who hasn't seen it, that something starts appearing uh, all around the world, and it's invisible, but if you see it, it makes you kill yourself, basically. So it's, uh, it reminded me at, at first of The Happening, where the trees made everybody want to kill themselves for some reason. But it's, it's done a, a lot better than that. It stars Sandra Bullock. She does a very good job. It has a, a pretty good supporting cast of people that are like locked in this house together for a while. John Malkovic is in it, and he is good in everything, and that's this included. He was definitely the most interesting character in, in the story, if not the most likable. But he's always fun to watch. So I, I would I would recommend it. It's not super long. It's it's an easy watch. It's just uh, you don't get answers to all the questions that you have by the end, and that bummed me out a little bit. So I, I know very little about this movie other than what's what's been in the marketing campaign. When I first saw it, 
it felt like it, it seemed like to me it was a ripoff of a quiet place except instead of being able to talk they couldn't see is that a fair am i am i completely wrong on that assumption uh no not completely so it, it does have the same kind of a, a vibe like it has the same atmosphere of fear as quiet place where like one of your senses is weaponized against you but they can see as long as they're in the right environment so like with a big chunk of the movie they're locked in a house together and they have all the windows like boarded up and newspapered over and blacked out and all the the entrances are closed off so they know that they're safe in this house because you're only in danger if you look at whatever it is this thing is so as long as they know they're in like a closed environment they can function normally it's just when they have to go outside that they have to blindfold themselves and so this you say this thing is it supposed to be one entity is it multiple is it like an air type thing because you know i'm wondering like how this would work in practice if there's only one of these things no the uh it starts, I want to say in Russia is like the first place where they hear on the news that there, there have been like mass suicides and then it starts to spread from there. So it, it seems at first like it might be a disease or something, but then it becomes apparent that it's, it's some kind of creature. But yeah, it's definitely not just one. They're, they're everywhere. Okay. Interesting take on a movie. What, what, how would you classify this? Would you say it's suspense, horror, um, Probably, Adventure. yeah, probably suspense because there, there's a few aspects of it that I'm not getting into because just because they are a little spoilery. But it's so it's uh, part of it is you know, you, you want the characters to stay safe from the monsters, whatever it is they are, and then they have to stay safe from themselves too. In case they see a monster, then they, they immediately want to kill themselves, but then they also have to stay safe from each other because you know, in any post apocalyptic, people are gonna go crazy and like try to take over things or whatever else. So there's, there's the monsters and then there's groups of bad people that are, that you have to watch out for. So it's, yeah, it's, it's suspense horror. It's not very action packed with the exception of the very beginning where all hell's breaking loose. Uh, Other than that, it's a lot of just kind of like biding your time and figuring out how this is going to go. I'm looking here at the director. It's directed by Suzanne beer looks like she's a danish director and doesn't have a lot on her list and from what it is it seems to be a lot of romantic comedies or something along those lines it doesn't seem like she has a lot of suspense the only only thing i'm seeing here that was actually even an english release was a movie called things we lost in the fire which was a drama so i'm surprised that uh she's the one who they picked to helm this but it, it seems like it was a at the very least, I don't know if people would say it's good or popular, but I know a lot of people have watched it. Yeah, if nothing else, it's definitely a viral success. Like they, it was, it was talked about massively when it first came out. To people are trying to do the, the bird box challenge where they're blindfolding themselves and walking around, and I think a lot of people got hurt. And it, it got to the point where Netflix had to issue a a a tweet that was essentially like, "I can't believe we have to say this, but please don't walk around blindfolded like you're gonna die." Yeah, who do they think they are, Daredevil? <laughs> so yeah, it was it was definitely a success. Whether or not uh, people would be game for like more along this line, I'm I'm not sure. But I I, I don't 
I don't know that I would be. It was good as a one-off. Like I said, it, it, the ending left a lot to be desired. But if if they stopped here, that would be fine. Uh, so would you suggest our listeners check this movie out? Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if you're scrolling through Netflix and you don't really know what to watch, you're in the mood for like a horror suspense. Yeah, it's it's not very long. You You get kind of sucked into it just... Don't expect to have all your questions answered. Also this week, Christian, you watched The Kid Who Would Be King. I have to admit, I have not even seen a preview for this. What is this movie about? So it just came out in theaters this week. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a kid's movie. It's like a little PG movie about a boy who finds Excalibur in like a construction site. And so he pulls it out of this concrete block and then has to start assembling people to be his knights because uh, King Arthur's evil half-sister Morgana is about to rise from inside the world and conquer it, essentially. So just one plot hole I'm really curious about. Did they explain how the sword got in the concrete or did these guys pour concrete and they're like, yeah, there's a sword here. Whatever. We'll deal with it tomorrow. Uh, not, not really. I mean, yeah, nobody's ever in this construction site. They go to it like three or four times throughout the movie. That's always abandoned. Um, but the, uh, the, like the sum up they do at the beginning essentially says that the sword would return when it was needed. So I guess it just appeared there before he stumbled upon it. Interesting. I always, my favorite thing about like kids movies is just sometimes how illogical they are. It's one of my <laughs> favorite things to do is like, what, what is this? Yeah. Like it's definitely not a movie that you want to take a fine tooth comb to and be like, Oh man. Yeah. There's a lot of inconsistencies. Cause I mean, there definitely are on, on the whole. It was a fun movie. It was, it, it was, yeah, it was a kid's movie. It was dumb, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. It had some good messaging. It subverted a, a few tropes. Like he has to go in search of his father and because his, it, he lives in like a, a divorced home. And so he has to, travel north to find his father who he hasn't seen in years and so that story doesn't necessarily go the way you would expect it to which i enjoyed um but yeah he has to meet merlin who's like a teenage kid because he ages backwards like benjamin button (laughs) he can turn himself into old man merlin who is played by patrick stewart which is always very fun to see wait patrick stewart's in this yep that's awesome yeah, he, he essentially has a bit part. Like, Merlin's a main character, but most of the time he's on screen, he's like 16 years old. So this was directed by Joe Cornish, who I, I, I'm just checking him out now. He actually directed Attack the, Blo- Attack the Block, and I remember really wanting to see that when it came out, which was also, I don't know if it was a kid's show, but it looked like it was a teen show about kids staving off an alien invasion. Uh so it's interesting that he has two th- two theatrical releases that totally seem like, or at least seem to be like kids' movies to some extent. Yeah, and he uh, he was one of the writers on Ant Man and the Adventures of Tintin. So he like he has his experience with this genre, I guess. Were there any famous kid actors in it, or was it mostly just people you know you wouldn't know? 
Yeah, no, the, the the vast majority of the cast were unknowns. I think Patrick Stewart was really the only major major actor in it. I will say it it made me want like a real King Arthur story. Like I've seen, I saw the new one with Charlie Hunnam, Legend of the Sword, which was admittedly really dumb, but oh man, did I I like it a lot. But it was not like a typical King Arthur story. Like he had weird like speed powers and uh, yeah. It, it took me two watches to really enjoy it. And I, I saw the older Clive Owen one, which I also really liked, but I I would love to see like a by the book, like straight King Arthur legend, either a movie or a TV show. I would love a video game that was like that. Like I actually went online to try and find if, if there was one. And the only thing I could find was like the video game version of the Clive Owen movie, which is definitely not what I want. Yeah, I think that I think that would be hard to get in this day and age just because I mean, look what they did with Robin Hood. They wanted to make it gritty and real, I guess. The only the only studio I could see doing this is Lionsgate, but then you'd have the Lionsgate version of <laughs> the King Arthur story, which I feel like it's hard to describe, but if you've seen any of their older like historical movies, I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, like the the Robin the new Robin Hood was essentially the King Arthur Legend of the Sword, but for Robin Hood, like it was it was weirdly updated and in just kind of bizarre in places. I didn't hate it; it just it's not what I really wanted from the movie. But yeah, I, I it, this movie for whatever reason just left me wanting like a real King Arthur story told. Like, don't. Don't revamp it. Don't like modernize it. Don't put a, a fun new twist on it. Just give me a straight King Arthur story right out of the book is, is, is all I want. And yeah, I, w- I would love to see that as a video game. I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes has this movie at an 87%, which is pretty high. And it looks like, uh, unfortunately, its box office was $16.7 million with a budget of $59 million. So... Well- I'm kind of curious if they're going to make that back or not. I'm going to doubt it. Yeah, like I know it didn't do super well here, but the, the Rotten Tomatoes score is pretty on par for where I would put it. Like it wasn't it wasn't a masterpiece. Like you're not going to come out of this being like, oh man, movie of the year. But it, it was it was pretty fun. Uh, would you suggest people check it out? Yeah, absolutely. Especially like if, if you're going to take kids, it's a great kids movie. But even if you're not, if you're just looking for like, a fun laid back movie to, to check out. No real stakes involved. Definitely. I would give this one a shot. So recently I've platinum the game midnight deluxe. Now this is a game developed by petite games, which I've looked at their catalog and it seems like they're mostly known for, I don't want to say shovelware games that were on the Wii U, but they seem to be mobile games that are at least mobile style games that are put onto consoles. So this game is a mixture between a, you know, golf S colon one game and angry birds where you're using a joystick to try and gauge how far you want to shoot this thing to get into a hole at another side of the stage. Mm. But the problem is the controls on it are a little janky where it either goes, you don't have a fine control of it. It's either max or nothing and very little in between. 
I feel like it could have really benefited where from on some games after you do a shot and you miss it, it'll show you how strong you did it or something like that. So you can adjust. And I think that really would have benefited this game. Uh, the, the only thing really this game has going for it is it has a really cool, creepy art style, uh, a lot of blacks and blues. Um, but otherwise it seems like this was just a reuse of assets for their other game 36 fragments of midnight which was honestly all of the same stuff except it was a platformer where you're going through a through a world to collect some things and then end the level Uh, it looked almost exactly like that so it seems like this was a pretty quick turnaround because they didn't have to create anything new for it another really annoying thing for this is they have maybe three music tracks and every time you would restart the level to try and get a, a lower score They would either restart the track you were on or go to a new track. So it was always the same, I don't know, six or seven seconds of beats you would hear over and over again. And that got really tiresome. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is an extremely easy game to platinum. It takes maybe an hour. You only need to go through 40 of their levels to do so. Some of these levels are actually a little bit challenging. And, you know, they took took a few attempts to do. (laughs) And... But overall, to platinum, it's it's not a hard game. If I was ranking these between uh, like this and Jack and Joe DX, I would say Jack and Joe from last week is probably a little bit better of a game. I enjoyed it more, uh, but but I would also rank this as like a D level game. It's not really that good. The only reason you want to pick it up is for an easy platinum. It normally costs five dollars, which it's totally not worth five dollars. It got on sale for two fifty, and I'd say it, it's more around that level. It really reminds me of a mobile game, and the the only real reason I can see, like I said, is either to platinum for an easy platinum, or if you really like golf esque shot games or things similar to Angry Birds. All right, so last week, Christian, you got Kingdom Hearts 3, and I know you, you've gotten a chance to play it a little bit. What have what what your first impressions been of it so far? Well, I am story-wise probably about 75% of the way through the game right now. I haven't played it in a couple of days because I got to a part that frustrated me, so I, I, I turned it off and I've, I've left it down for about 36 hours. I'll probably get back to it tonight. Uh, first impressions were a little rocky, so it, it's, it gets off to a strange start. Uh, I told you earlier, it's it's abrupt at the beginning. There's uh, there's almost no like summary of the previous games. It just kind of drops you in the beginning and uh, sends you off on missions almost immediately without a real clear goal in mind. And even where I am now, the the goal's hazy at best. Like you know what you have to do, but there's no definition of like how you're supposed to do it. And I, I mean, that's built into the story because the characters don't really know either. It's, but like it, it makes for an odd story structure where you're just kind of wandering world to world, hoping to stumble into your goal. I mean, you're just saying that that reminds me of the first game where it's like, we're looking for our friends. We'll just go look at these worlds. Yeah. Essentially. Like at least in the, at least in the first one, you had the goal of like, Oh, you have to find the keyhole and, and seal it off. But, yeah, and in this one, it's it's just kind of 
Uh, we'll go. To, we'll go see what's up in the tangled world and get into weird shenanigans. But on, on the whole, it it's not bad. It grew on me as as I played. I think part of it was just I got sucked back into the Kingdom Hearts world and like, oh man, like uh, I miss this. This is great. the The battle structure is pretty fun once you get used to it because it's a little different. I don't think any two Kingdom Hearts games have the same like movement or battle system. They're all just a little different. But it borrows heavily from some of the other games. Like there's reaction commands, which were in the second, and there's like form changes, which were a big part of Birth by Sleep that I really enjoyed. It's one of the main reasons I like Birth by Sleep so much. And so I was happy that that came back. Uh, one of the issues I'm having personally is just I think I might be sitting a little too far from my TV because the text is pretty small on a lot of the tutorials. So it took me a while to figure out how the, the battle system really worked just because I didn't want to bother reading all the tiny text uh christian i'm not gonna lie i've never noticed this issue on previous generations but the the current one i've had that issue on a couple games like the witcher 3 the text was so small even like i have a 42 inch tv and i sit maybe six feet away the text was so small like i would get up and have to go to my television to read item descriptions, which really annoys me. There should be an option to enlarge that text. Yeah, I was looking for one to see if there was like a game resolution that I could I could adjust, but there wasn't. So, well, good. I'm glad it's not just me losing my eyesight. No, I, I think that's been a trend on at least some games this generation that I've noticed text has been oddly small. So, yeah, there's... Uh... There's that, but like I said, once once you get into the battle system, you figure out all the commands and the there's there's new things like flow motion and air stepping that are a, a little tricky to get a handle on right away. But once you get the hang of it, this battle system's pretty slick. I'm a big fan of everything except the theme park rides, which I n- knew were going to drive me up a wall. <laughs> well, it's good to see that. I know you had high expectations for it. I'm glad you're at least enjoying it. I am, yeah. We'll we'll see how like crazy town the end is because yeah, there there have been no major confrontations with any like major bad guys where I am right now. It's just been like world by world, you fight the the bad guy for that world, and that's it. So they've they've set up something like fourteen or fifteen like major antagonists that I I think you're gonna have to like marathon through them at the end, which might be might be crazy fun or it might just be real tedious we'll see how it goes yeah i mean uh, yeah that could go either way if i'm remembering right didn't kingdom hearts 2 you fought like five bosses in a row yeah you got to that last chamber and you had to like knock all the, the organization members off that you'd missed so far you had to to get them all one by one which was there was I, yeah there was four or five of them and it wasn't terrible but yeah, th- this one so far is building up that you're going to be doing, like, one hell of a marathon at the end. I'm really excited to check this one out. I've, I've recently been playing Final Fantasy twelve, and it's making me yearn to play for, like, the PlayStation 2 PlayStation 2 style of RPG that I don't think you really get anymore. And, like, Kingdom Hearts is always the epitome of that to me, where I would get really invested in the story. Like, most games now, I don't care as much about the story because there's so much more interactivity and things can change. Uh, but if, whereas if you just have, like, one really good set story, or it, it might not even be good objectively, but a story you really enjoy, uh, I, I'm really excited to try that out. 
Yeah, don't get too, too invested in the story here because it's cuckoo bananas. Alright, so this past week, the first downloadable character in Smash Brothers Ultimate has been released. It is the Piranha Plant from Mario Brothers. I got a chance to mess around with them a little bit this weekend, and I gotta say, I am surprised with how much I actually like this character. Um, I was a little hesitant at first, but I'm, I'm really glad that they're putting pulling a lot of side characters that I normally don't see in these games. Like, I'm tired of there being so many Fire Emblem characters that I think are all kind of similar. The Piranha Plant is completely different. His his specials are pretty cool, so I'm just going to go through his move list real quick. His normal special is he shoots an iron ball with air above him, and you can kind of angle it. It seems like it'll be situational because you don't really shoot in a direct line. It's more of a lob, so you have to time it. I really like his side special is where he charges up and then just shoots out a pretty large area of poison gas that will continuously damage someone. His down special, I don't know how useful it'll be. He essentially charges up and then he can launch straight up really, really high if you charge it all the way. But I think people can will see that coming and be able to avoid it, kind of like Pikachu's. It's like the opposite of Pikachu's uh, up special with a lightning bolt where his is coming from below. Uh, and then his up special, he has a lot of recovery with it. He flaps it and flies up. Uh, I really like the skin choices they have for the Piranha Plant. And I, I actually thought they would incorporate him shooting fireballs into it more, but they opted for the poison gas instead, which I, I think is because they have a couple characters who already shoot fire. How does he move around? Does he just kind of, does the, the planter just kind of hop from place to place? It's like he grows vines kind of and he's in a pot, but then it like comes out and helps him move. So it's a little, little bit weird that way. But yeah, it's like you see vines plop out and that's, that's kind of how he does it. Interesting. Yeah. Cause that was my first thought is like, this is a plant. How's that? <laughs> like I, I, I remember what it looks like in Mario. I couldn't figure out how it was going to move from place to place, but that, that makes sense a little bit then. Yeah, it seems like they're they're taking inspiration for it from I want to say like the Super Mario 3D World games, where you're when I think of Piranha Plant, I I think of the fireball shooting ones, but these ones are they they can blow wind and they can shoot poison gas and stuff, so they're not the traditional ones, I guess. Um, but he's still fun to play. He seems like he's pretty powerful. Uh, we'll see once people get used to him um, if they're able to handle it. But the other noteworthy thing in Smash Brothers is Nintendo actually uh, patched it when they released him and um, reworked certain characters. And Nintendo actually released a patch note list so you could see the nerfs and buffs each character got, which is pretty new for them on Smash Brothers because normally Nintendo does not seem to care about the competitive scene. So it's good to see that they're finally taking a proactive stance for competitive Smash that every other game company has done before and it took them till 2019 to do that but it i'm happy they finally are yeah all right guys now it's time for our amazon review game just a quick recap i will read an amazon review and christian will get two yes or no questions to help him guess what it is i will read and or then he can ask for a second review I will then read the second review. Chris will have two more questions. 
and then he can ask for a final review and I'll read two more and then he has to guess. And we're now doing a point system in it where if Christian gets it after the first review, he gets three points. If he gets it after the second review, he will get two points. And if he gets it after the third review, he will get one point. Are you ready, Christian? Bring it. Yes. If you grew up in the 80s and didn't see this movie, I suspect there are holes in your childhood. Instantly accessible to parent and child alike, Spielberg manages to take a silly story about a treasure hunt and turn it into an exciting, scary, romantic comedy about a group of outcasts coming together for a common cause. Hmm. Does this movie feature a group of children? Yes. Is one of those children Sean Astin? Yes. Is this movie The Goonies? It is. Nice. I have never seen The Goonies. Really? Yep. Well, sorry, Christian. I, I just kind of guessed you would, but I wasn't sure. It's a good movie. You should check it out. I've heard I've gotten so much crap from so many different people every time I say it. But yeah, I, I don't know why. It's just it never happened for me. Oh, I totally seems like a movie like I would have guessed you would have seen. It's, it's good. I feel like it's probably more loved by people who are my brother's age is who was like 40 because, you know, it came out when he was a teen. But they watched it so much when I was a kid that I saw it a lot. And I, I think it's a really good movie, but I think maybe a little bit overrated by that decade. Like I'm sure some movies I like from the nineties are overrated. I, I overrate from the nineties, I should say. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of my friend's favorite movies and he, he's always perpetually disappointed in me that oh, I haven't yeah. seen it. All right, guys, thanks for checking out our episode before we head out. Uh, Christian, what are you going to be checking out this week? Well, I'm sure I'm going to be playing a lot more Kingdom Hearts because even though I'm closing in on the end of the story, I've still got a lot of work to do if I want to get these trophies. Uh, Movie-wise, I'm going to probably check out Lego Movie 2. I was a big fan of the first one. Uh, The this, this second one, uh, we'll see, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I also want to see Cold Pursuit, which is the, the taken on a snowplow, despite the fact that Liam Neeson stuck his foot in his mouth a little bit, uh, a lot of bit today. Uh, I'm still going to go watch Cold Pursuit. So we'll see how that is. That's probably about it for me. So this week, I, I didn't actually realize Lego Movie 2 is coming out. I love the first one, so I might go try and see that. And I really still want to see Glass. So maybe I'll get to see one of those. I don't know. Uh, the big one I'm going to be doing this week is finishing up my Platinum of Final Fantasy twelve, The Zodiac Age. I have almost 100% of the game. I have all the hard stuff out of the way. The last things I need to do are go kill three more monsters, and they're just normal monsters in the game that I missed to complete a bestiary. I need to get every concurrence, which is RNG-based, so that's going to be really annoying if I can't get that. Hopefully I can get without too much trouble, and if, if not, it's going to be annoying. And then I just got to finish the game. This past weekend, I was so pumped. I've never... Like fully 100% in Final Fantasy 12, I've played probably 85% of it, but never did these last things. So in the new one, they have this uh, area called trial mode where you have to go through 100 levels fighting everything really that Final Fantasy 12 has to offer. And the last two levels in it are really hard. One is you fight the ultimate monster in the game. And then the other one is you fight five enemies that are just really hard to deal with. 
in this Sunday, I sat down for probably like five and a half hours and just went through it. I got stuck twice, really bad conditions, but I figured out a strategy that worked and I just was so pumped when I finally did it. I haven't felt that accomplished in a video game in a while, especially because <laughs> I went into it a little bit unprepared, uh, underestimating the challenge it would be. I used up like every elixir and mega elixir and phoenix down and in reverse notes I had, but I got it and I was really pumped to do it. So I'm going to be happy to finish that hopefully tomorrow, uh, if all goes well. Uh, but otherwise I've been really feeling the, the kick, the urge to play either bloodborne or dark souls three or something like a, a from, a from soft game. Uh, so we'll see which one of those I pick up or if I'll just try and finish up another game. Um, but those are the big ones. I'm going to be at the check out this week. Good deal. All right, guys. Thanks for checking out our episode. If you want to contact us to let us know uh, any of your thoughts or give us suggestions for an Amazon, uh, the Amazon review game, you can reach us at email. We are gambots.blog at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter where we are at gambots network. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you.